Welcome to the Superpower Success Podcast. It's time to shift your paradigm, gain some inspiration, and get moving towards that next level of success. Today, we're talking about self-protective mode. And I'm really excited to have this conversation primarily because I think I might suffer from this disease and Rosie is going to be here to diagnose me on it. But it's just a really interesting concept. And I think as we've gone through 2020, and I swear, hopefully this is the last time that I'll bring this up is we've survived it, is I think some of us have gone into this place, right? And we might not even be aware of it. And so that's why this is such an important topic for me. And I think it's an important topic for everybody to hear right now to almost just kind of check ourselves. And, and, and kind of see, you know, if, if we're behaving in this way, if we're doing these things, if we have this disease at this point. So with me, I have Rosie Ward, who's the CEO and founder of Selveo Partners. She's an author. She's a podcast host. She's a kick-ass human being. Um, what else should I add to your, to your tagline? I don't know. I think we're sisters from another <laughs> mister is what I think we determined. <laughs> But thank you for being here and having this conversation. For those listening, don't turn this off. You are going to love the energy and the conversation that we're going to have today for sure. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's always, it's always fun to chat. And I think both of us get an energy boost after we've spent some time with one another and realize we're not crazy, right? Right. (laughs) Sometimes you need those people in your lives that you call them and you're like, am I insane? And they're like, no, I deal with that too. And you're like, okay, now I feel normal again. Thank you. Moving on. Yeah. So So tell us a little bit about how you got to where you're at and your success. Like what's that journey been for you? Not a straight line, not an easy road. Um, I think that for me, if I just really briefly, I think that I was one of those and you'll see this in my self-protective story, but I was one of those overachievers growing up because I grew up in an overachieving family and I was the youngest of five girls. You know, everybody ended up having advanced degrees. Everybody was on honor rolls, that type of thing. And I love my mom. We have a great relationship, but I joke that I feel like by the time she got to me, she was just done having kids. My oldest sister's 15 years older than me. And so I was just kind of like the leftovers. And so they got tired of going to stuff. So I had this syndrome where like, it would go to my sister's music recitals, but when I went to go to a dance recital, like no one wanted to go and they would complain. And I was always compared to my sisters. And so I just, I grew up with this narrative that I created for myself of, I need to prove that I'm worthy, or I need to prove I'm different, or I need to, right. And that actually served me well. I mean, I was successful in school. I had a lot of friends. I was kept, you know, this goes on in your life and, and to the outside world, you know, like I was very successful. I had it all together, those types of things. Um, and, and so I was always like reaching for more, reaching for more, reaching for more. I would say the one thing that helped me is I've always listened to my gut, even though I didn't know what the heck it meant. And there was a whole lot of uncertainty on the other side. So I started out as a psychology major in undergrad and I had just started in the fitness industry as a side thing, just kind of for fun to teach group fitness and stuff. Cause I needed something to do to replace sports and dance And I was at a fitness convention getting CEUs and I was somewhere, it was in Chicago and I was driving back to Minnesota and I was somewhere in the middle of Wisconsin where all great epiphanies happen apparently. (laughs) And I remember reflecting on my experience at that convention and thinking, I'm going to do that someday. And I didn't know what that was. I just was like, I was lit up and I was like, there's people who, you know, are helping other people and educating and So I remember, um, then I studied abroad and then I came back. So at this point now I'm going into my senior year of college and I was like, I don't want to go back to a psych major. This isn't what I want to do. And so I started researching degrees and I found kinesiology and my parents looked at me like I had four heads, like what, what is this? And, um, so I changed my degree, changed schools, 
um, ended up going to corporate fitness, got a master's degree in public health, wrong degree, but didn't know. I was just trying to go, well, I need, I know I need another degree because you can't just have one in my family. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and I remember when I got my master's degree and I was working in corporate fitness, I liked what I did, but I remember feeling like I was losing brain cells because it just wasn't a challenge. And I remember thinking that everything about corporate wellness was so broken and nothing worked. And I was like, what the hell? And I remember um, feeling just this sinking feeling that I just blew $80,000 in student loan debt for two degrees for something that doesn't work and in feeling kind of like a failure and feeling like what, what the hell did I get myself into? So I went to go work in public health and um, I should also back up that at, during this time, I was a first time manager. didn't know what the hell I was doing. Nobody developed me. Nobody helped me. God bless the people who had to like work with me because I didn't, I didn't know my butt from a hole in the ground. So I started reading every book I could get my hands on, right? Like first break all the rules and the leadership challenge and good to great. And just trying to figure out what the heck was this management leadership thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I left and went to public health. Cause I thought, well, I got a public health degree. Maybe I'll do something here. And that was the first time in my life I was transported into a truly toxic work environment that I had read about, but I'd never yet experienced in my life. Mm-hmm. And I was now mid twenties, upper twenties, I guess, upper twenties. And, um, although wait, I'm only 20 now. I'm just kidding. So <laughs> started when I was two, but, um, so I, it was like four months into the job and I, literally gained 10 to 15 pounds, even though I was still working out and thought I was eating healthy. I went from being an overachiever to watching the clock. It was just awful. And I had this aha moment of, well, no wonder why what we're doing in the name of trying to help people be well and thrive isn't working. If you take someone who has two degrees and is passionate about this stuff and can get the well-being or wellness sucked out of them, like we have a problem. Right. So I remember it was not a not a great conversation to have with my husband of, hey, honey, I think I need to go back to school again. But that's when I decided to pursue my PhD. And I specifically looked at organization and management. I was really looking at culture and leadership and just wanted to understand, like we spend all this time at work and if corporate wellness is supposed to, like, we've got to look at it different. And so um, during that time, I got introduced to the world of coaching and just really started looking at stuff from a different lens. And I just, I started to see this incredible interconnectedness between the health and culture and well-being of an organization and the health and well-being of the individuals right. that work in it. And that they're, they're totally interconnected. And I didn't have language for it. Now we call it the fusion. Um, and I found myself kind of being this salmon swimming upstream where I would start to get invited to speak at wellness conferences, but I was like the lonely voice, basically challenging every other presentation that was there. And I just felt like I was on this Island, but saying, there's gotta be a better way. This stuff doesn't work. I didn't want to waste my money for no reason. There's gotta be a better way to improve the employee experience. So anyway, um, started to kind of gain a following, eventually left and went to a consulting firm. That was my second time being in a toxic work environment. Um, and I think that lit the fuel under me to write our first book and then launch Selvio Partners and then now write our second book. Um, and so, yeah, it's really just been this journey of learning about myself, constantly trying to get better. How do I take what I'm learning and help other people, um, you know, maybe like learn from my mistakes or if there's any wisdom I can impart. Um, so in a way it's like backwards psychology where I started and, um, yeah. And so it's just doing consulting, doing coaching, doing workshops, doing speaking engagements, writing, doing thought leadership, just really trying to, um, my whole purpose is to just help people 
have those moments of insight where something triggers something in them and they break past their own barriers and step into their own greatness. And I just feel like everybody has that opportunity. And if I can play any, any part in that with any of the stuff that I do, then like, I'm good. Like I, I life is good. It. Well, and you, this, this just is the epitome of why we have people tell their journeys on this because it's so impactful to hear that it hasn't all been glorious and you're not this, you are a brilliant PhD, but it wasn't like I did this and then this fell into place and I did this perfect thing. Oh, hell no. It was so messy and ugly. And I almost lost (laughs) my marriage in the middle of my PhD because I was in my own little, you know, productivity mode. I mean, yeah, yeah. I think the more we can tell these stories, the more it normalizes it for other people to say, if you're in the messy middle right now, that's okay. That's normal, meaning yeah. there's nothing wrong with you. You haven't made the wrong life decisions. Yeah. Like you haven't, right? This is where it's leading you. And there's a reason. And I think just paying attention to that. And like you said, paying attention to your gut. And I know some people have more of that than others do, but we yeah. all have it, right? That intuition that's telling us this doesn't feel right, right? This isn't the right thing I should be doing. It's just most of us can't break the rules, right? We can't, like, I was supposed to do this and this and this, and then I'm supposed to go work in the degree that I got, you know, are you, do you have to for the rest of your life? And I think it's hard and we'll get into that in the topic for us to kind of break free of the titles and the degrees and the things that, that we have. So, well, and I love, I love that you talk about the messy middle, because that's actually one of our like rehumanizing principles that we talk about in our book. But I think that when we're in the middle of the mess, it is uncomfortable and it feels icky. So I think we want to fast forward or we want to shut down or we want to skip past it. But I, I, I'm sure you're the same way, Jamie, but like, I think about all of the struggles that I have been through in my life and those messy middles are what made me stronger and helped me evolve and helped me become a better version of myself. And so I think that there's incredible gifts with the mess that if we try to tiptoe around it, uh, fast forward, leap over rather than letting ourselves just wade in it. Uh, we, we miss so much. We do. And it's hard if you're sitting in it right now to be like, yeah, whatever, right? Like you're not in my situation or you didn't lose your job and you're trying to right? but I don't, and you see this too, I'm sure. And people you coach that a, a job loss or a, you know, a, a big change in your life usually creates a bigger opportunity that would have never been created had that not happened. Oh, like, I will tell you right now that I've said this before, had my previous employer not done the Jekyll and Hyde because it was great for a while and suddenly it just got super toxic and we I write about it in the book. I, I often wonder, like, had they not been such jerks to me, would I still be there making a decent salary, but working myself to death and playing it very safe and small? Like I wouldn't be, I probably wouldn't have the books out. I wouldn't have my own business. I wouldn't have, a, I would not be having the impact that I want to have and be fulfilled the way I want to be fulfilled. I would probably still be there. Right. So we have to take those moments and look back on those tough times and saw we got through it. And so again, we could talk about that topic all day long, but what I want to know first, before we dive into the self-protective mode topic is what is a superpower that you have that you think has really contributed to your success? You know, it's funny when, when you ask me that question, I, I have a love hate relationship with, with this idea of superpower. And here's why is that this will feed into the conversation. I know we're going to have about self-protective mode, because when I get into self-protective mode, I forget that I'm human and I go into quote, superhuman or superpower mode and no lie. When my husband and I got married, like 
18 plus years ago on the top of our wedding cake, we had Wonder Woman and Yoda Pez people. Like <laughs> my friends give me book, like what would Wonder Woman do? Like it's become this running joke, not just because I have long brown hair, but like that I'm Wonder Woman. Um, and I've for years prided myself in that, like, oh, I can do it all. Right. So when I see superpowers, I'm like, Ugh, right. So um, I, I guess if there was one, I guess I would just say that I am have a lot more grit and resilience than I think. Um, and that I think every time life has thrown me a mess, which has done a lot, it's not that I don't get down. It's not that I don't want to like curl up in the fetal position, sucking my thumb with like four bottles of wine in the corner, but that I find my path out. And I like, I find something to like dig into myself, dig deep and be like, okay, I've got something. And I, and I usually come back and I come back stronger and I take adversity and try to, um, turn it into an opportunity, a growth or to make a difference with someone else. And so I feel like if I look at, if there was such a thing as a superpower or strength that I have, I feel like it's the, um, being able to pull myself back up. Um, but not in a unrealistic way, right? Like, not, like, I don't know, um, that, but which know. makes you a good coach because yeah. people are coming to you when they need someone to help them through, right. Yeah. The tough times or the, the times when they're not clear, on yeah. things. So I think you need to have that. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. So, so talk to us about this idea of self-protective mode. Th this is something you had a realization, like how did you get there and what does it mean? Yeah. Well, I will say, I think I got into the realization of putting language to self-protective mode as I started to learn about the work of Brene Brown and, and really read her books and follow her work. And then I was so fortunate in to be selected with a, a group of people that she personally certified in 2019 to be one of her dare to lead facilitators. And so I think the more I've been engrossed in her work, she talks about it as armor. Other people talk about it as other things, but it really it was several years ago of being, an, oh, here's language for it. And really self-protective mode is the so I'll just use Brene's language. She talks about, she uses the metaphor of the arena. And an arena moment is any time in our life where we are putting ourselves out there. It could be we're speaking up and asking a question. It could be we're putting our work out there. We're sharing our ideas. We're um, um, having those difficult conversations, right? It's any where there's a discomfort, but we don't, but we show up anyway. And we know we're not going to be perfect, but we're not showing up like guarded or we're not showing up arrogant or we're not showing up pretending we have all the answers. So self-protective mode looks different for different people, but it's really this way that we stay guarded of not letting ourselves be fully seen because we feel like if we let ourselves be fully seen, then we're subject to judgment. So common self-protective or armor is like perfectionism is a huge one. If I am perfect mm -hmm. enough at whatever, then, then people won't judge me and I don't have to feel inadequate. Um, you know, it's, it's that not, it's all to cover up that not enough narrative that we have. I'm not smart right. enough. I'm not young enough. I'm not male enough or female enough or straight enough or this enough or white enough or whatever it is. Um, and, and so that not enoughness has us go, Oh, I don't want people to see me because I'm not going to belong. I'm not going to be loved. I'm not going to. And so some people, when they're in that mode, they try to clamp down and control everything around them when our world feels out of control. And so they get hyper, you know, um, some people it's pushing their rightness because to the, the thought of them being wrong freaks them out. Um, for some people it's, it's, um, yeah, it's just, it, it might be nitpicking stuff. For some people it's like, oh my gosh, I need everybody to, to like me. Right. And so it's like looking for the likes on social media or, you know, just, you know, hustling for their worth type of thing, because they don't know their own value, even if somebody criticizes them or mm -hmm. does their criticism even have merit. So 
so really, yeah, that self-protective mode are just those stories that it might be like, well, who am I, you know, no one's going to listen to this or they're they're This idea is going to look silly or it's just those voice of who am I to do this? Who, you know, who do I think I am? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we engage in behaviors that, that keep us from risking being right. judged, whatever. And so again, it looks different, but that's really what we play what it safe when it feels scary, right? We take yeah, a exactly. step back instead of a step forward. When yep. did you first realize that you were doing that? Like when, do you remember that moment when you're like, oh my gosh, I do this. I, I don't remember. I don't remember the moment. Um, but I will tell you a couple you know how there's people who God love them that hold up a mirror and will speak the truth to you and mm-hmm. they resonate for you. And I remember, um, I started to see a pattern and then I was able to put language to it. And so this is back in my early twenties, my husband and I dated off and on for seven years before we got married. Um, so we had a lot of breakups in there. And I remember we were going through like a self-improvement course and we were on the phone with one of our coaches. Cause we were in one of our rough patches. And I remember, I don't remember anything else about the conversation, but the guy said to me, Rosie, the death of your relationship with Dave is going to be your intolerance for error. And I remember going, oh, and what I realize is I don't have tolerance for error in myself. Like, the, like talk about my like self-protective was if I could be perfect, it goes back from childhood. If I can be perfect, then people will love me if I can. Right. And, and I started to have an intolerance for error in other people. Right. And um, like, you can't let me down or see. And, and so that, that statement woke me up to go, holy crap. And I think it started me in a lot of reading books and looking at other ways that I could develop myself um, and whatnot. And and then I was able actually through immunity to change work, which I didn't know anything about. I'd been a coach for years and learned about Bob Keegan and Lisa Leahy's work. And long story short, you go through this process where you have an improvement goal and then you kind of map out why you get in your way. And so now, now mind you, this is now 15 years after that stinging comment or more than that. And I I was doing this through an organization I worked at. They were having the leadership team do this. And so I had created this goal about being able to be more timely with having corrective conversations with my staff because I hated having those conversations. Mm -hmm. And the long sort of is I realized that I had like this narrative or this assumption that was in my way that like, um, that I have to be perfect. And that I can't be seen as selfish. And that if people don't like me, then I won't be loved. And it was just going back to all this childhood crap. And so they call it a big assumption. And so I finally had a name for it. And I remember going, I've done therapy. I've done 15 plus years of work on myself. Why the hell is this still here? I'm pissed off. Right. And then I learned that, well, we haven't rewritten that narrative. And so, so it was like the start of that stinging comment. And then it was 15 plus years of a lot of work on myself. And then really it was the immunity to change process that helped me label it as my big assumption. That this is a filter I was still holding on to, mm-hmm. And then I was able once it's like anything, once you can name it, you know what to do with it. Well, then it's a really cool process that helps you dismantle that narrative that you've had since childhood. And not that it still doesn't creep up, but it's like, okay. So I know for me, when I am in self-protective mode, I get perfectionist. And I get into full blown, I call it pain in the ass, hyper-productive and hyper-independence mode. Like I can do it all. That's where I, the wonder woman, like I can do it all. Nope. I don't need your help. And I'm going to jam pack my schedule and just go, 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 go. Part of it's the achieve, achieve, achieve. But part of it also is the, if I, if I'm warp speed all the time, I don't have to feel like, I don't have to feel that the world feels scary. I don't have to feel grief. I don't have to 
you know? And so I've learned to recognize that about myself and catch it sooner. Um, still right. happens. <laughs> right. And but, that's yeah. the thing I think I want everyone to hear and to normalize is that it still happens. Your goal is not to not for it to not happen. And you're broken. If it happens, your job is to realize it sooner. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, because if you think it's not going to happen, then you're not a human anymore. You're a robot. Right. Right. So I, mean, I think that's fact. important for everybody to hear that there's not something wrong with you because it happens. Right. Your, your example of like, Oh, there I'm doing it again, or having a spouse or someone in your family or your business. That's like, uh, I think you're back in that place. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. because for me, it's, 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 I, I do the exact same thing. I'm a workaholic. Yep. It's I a hundred percent family. Well, and, and you want to talk about the people who are gifts in your life that do this. Um, I actually wrote a blog about this. Uh, you like, right. When stuff bad happens, you have like someone else could learn from this. And this was a year ago now. But it, I distinctly remember it was November of 29, um, 2019 and I was in my office working like I always freaking am on a weekend or evening or something like that. And my son, who was a nine, um, had a meltdown and he said, mommy, you never want to spend time with me. All you want to do is work and you want to talk about a knife to the heart. And I remember that was like another one of those wake up sting moments. And I thought, what in the hell Yep. am I doing? Right. And so we had this wonderful conversation about resetting. I pulled out Brene Brown's uh, wholehearted parenting manifesto. Um, and we, and we started talking about the reset and I still have to do it a, many times, but like we start using the language in our house, like, you know what, let's just reset. Like today didn't go well, or today hasn't been going well. Let's hit the reset button. And I'm trying to teach my son, yeah. right. That I don't want him, not that I can help it, but I'm trying to help him not grow up with that narrative. I have, you have to be perfect. And it's like, nope, we can reset. Nope. Things haven't been going well. We've been crappy to each other. Let's reset. Oh, I've been working too much. Let's reset. Um, and, and so that was another wake up call because as you're running your own business and you're trying to have it be successful, I can still get caught up in that, um, caught up in that stuff. I, and I think sure. everybody who has kids probably has a story like that. I, it brings back memories of, of me. I was, when I was incorporated right before I left corporate, I was just so burnt out and working 80 hours a week and traveling all the time. And my kids were little and I went to a meeting and I was displaying something on my computer, like showing somebody and the sun hit the screen just right. And it was gross. It was a series of little tiny fingerprints all over the computer screen. I mean, it was just like someone had smeared like said, right. But when you're looking right at it, I couldn't see it. And I realized that it was because I'm sitting on the couch every single night and my kids are snuggled up next to me trying to get my attention and they're touching mm. my computer screen. Right. And they're, and I had, I remember it. I remember the conference room I was in and it was like, my priorities are out of whack. Yep. Right. And yep. I, I believe that those, those things are sent to you. Those, those moments, those things, it's for you to have awareness and have, um, that you need to do something different. And yep. that's really kind of where that was at. So well, that's I, where I, I go back to, are we listening, right? When the universe or whatever has those things that usually they sting and they sting a whole hell of a lot, but when, whether it's, Ooh, I have an idea or it's that, Oh, it's, do we cower or do we listen to it and go, okay, right. what am I going to do with this to become the next version, version 50.0 of me, you know, version 60, like what, right. what are we going to do with it? And I think that's, that's the key. So thinking about, or like talking about 2020 and with the coaching you do, and you interact with so many leaders, have you seen people go more into this mode this year? Like, do you think we're all in like hyper self-protective mode or have you seen people realize this even more than they have before? Like what direction are we headed? 
I think that 1 billion percent we're in self-protective mode because when the world around us is so chaotic and everything feels out of our control, it, it is a like hyper trigger for us to go into self-protective mode. And what I will tell you is that like, if I just talk about the leaders that I've, for example, used the immunity to change process with, cause I don't use it with everybody, but they know it, they've done the work to like become better versions of themselves and break past their barriers. And what I've seen is even with all that work, unconsciously, our brain starts doubling down on those big assumptions or those stories that keep us safe and small. And so when I'm holding up that mirror to leaders and saying, you know, this is what I'm seeing, um, what do you think? And they're like, oh my God, I didn't even realize it. Thank you for right. pointing that out. And now they can look at their tools. And so I think that people who haven't done a lot of work on themselves, they're just, it's, it's, a almost being in oblivion and they don't even know that they're in self-protective mode. It's just like, we just unconsciously gravitate towards right. what's going to help us feel safe as well. So for some people, it's the, the almost paralyzed apathy deer in headlights where they feel like they can't get anything done and they're swirling. And we see a lot of that. And then the other extreme are the people that go into hyper productivity mode so they don't have to feel, but it's still going to hit them at some point. And then you've got everything in between. And so, yeah, what I've seen with 2020 is that everybody is triggered way more, which, and you, and you just see it, you see the divisiveness in our country, you see, um, you know, organizations, some people rising to the occasion and some people swirling. Um, but I guarantee even people who are rising to the occasion, they're going home and they're falling apart some days. Um, right. cause I, I see it. I, and so I think that, um, I think that crises tends to bring out both the best and the worst in us and, and shows us where we have gifts and shows us where we have incredible opportunities to, um, leverage as catalysts for change. And, uh, but I mean, I found myself getting hooked in it, but I got, you know, out of it quicker. Um, I, but I, I think that what I remind myself when I see people acting in ways that just has me go, huh. And I remind myself, Rosie, everybody is like ridiculously triggered this year. Right. Um, and it doesn't excuse like it doesn't mean you don't have boundaries and like if someone's nasty to you or something like that, but what it does, it allows me to remind myself the intolerance for error of, I need to extend not just myself, but other people a lot more grace this year mm -hmm. because our humanity collectively has gotten the best of us. And I just have to keep reminding myself of that and go, given that, what can I do to be helpful here? Or what, how do I need to show up here to either not let something or someone get to me or just you know, say, I don't know, like if people are religious or whatever, say a prayer or just, you know, I don't know, set like an intention feel for them and just know, yeah. assume everyone's doing the best they can. And sometimes yeah. the best they can that day is not up to our standards. No, I, no. that's really how I look at it. Like I I've caught myself this year, especially in the last few months going, man, I feel bad for them. Yeah. Like I, even, even social media, right. The political stuff and the, right. Just the anger and some of the posts from people that I'm like, wow. And I find myself being empathetic to it. Like yeah. I really feel bad for them because they must be in a bad place. I don't really yeah. take offense to the post. And I think a lot of people kind of, you know, they get caught up in it and I just look yeah. at it and go, man, I hope they come out of whatever funk they're in because that can't be a, a happy place to be. Well, and what you're describing is so critical because this is one of the conversations I have with my clients all the time, whether it's groups or whether it's individuals is that our, our brains, we can hold a lot of things at once, but the one thing that our brain is very binary and that we can't be sitting in judgment and have empathy at the same time, right? So when we find ourselves judging ourselves or we find ourselves judging other people, 
I always say, can you, can you start to just lean into that judgment and instead get curious? Like, I wonder what their life must be like, or I wonder what happened to them that has them feel like they need to protect themselves right now, or feel like they need to lash out. And again, it doesn't mean we don't set boundaries and say like, it's okay to be frustrated or anxious, but it's not okay to talk to me that way or whatever. If it's, if it's directed at Mm -hmm. you. Um, or boundaries in that I'm not going to check Facebook or I'm going to take a break from social media, or I'm not going to read the comments on whatever, right? I mean, there's lots of ways we can set boundaries knowing what is good for us and what isn't good for us. Um, but, but it's also, if we move to curiosity, yeah, we, we can't be empathetic and judging at the same time. And so I always say when I find myself, you know, being judging Miss Jugger, Judger pants, (laughs) Then, um, and it, that I can go, okay, do you want to stay in that mode for a while? Which sometimes you do, but then I just put myself in a bubble and then I'm like, okay, when I'm ready to like, not be acting like a butthead, I'm gonna, um, I'm going to either set some boundaries and, or, you know, move to curiosity because that's my path forward. Right. And, and really assessing how it makes you feel. Cause when you're in judgment, if you really checked your feelings and how it makes you feel, it doesn't make you feel great. And so sometimes just being in check with those to say, why would I do to myself, right? Things that don't make me feel good. And, yeah. and that sometimes can not fix it, but it can kind of get you back out of it and, and back to the, like the curiosity that you're talking yeah. about. Well, and I don't know about you, but like, I've learned about myself that that um, like judgmental righteous version of me that can show up when I'm really stressed or overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. I, that version of me is, I'm just going to say, she's a bitch. I do not like her like that version of me, I wouldn't want to be around her. I'm not proud of her. Um, and so when I, so again, I've got, I've gotten better. No one's perfect at recognizing the early signs, but I also know, like, if I start to, if I'm starting to get overwhelmed, if I'm not setting boundaries in my calendar, or if I'm not getting sleep or I I start to feel it, I know that there's a very small tipping point where that version of me is going to show up. And I don't want her showing up with the people I care about. Right. So I have to go reel it in or when I'm starting to feel anxious or whatever it is, it's like, it's knowing those early warning indicators that you're starting to get pulled, pulled away from who you are at your best. And how do you then reset and get yourself back in alignment before you get fully, you know what I mean? Triggered. Right. And then we're in a place of regret. Like I wish I wouldn't have said that or done that or whatever it is. So for the people that are listening right now, like me (laughs) that are like, Oh, yeah, that's me. I do that. What, what's just, where do they start? What tips would you give? Give your free coaching to us, right? My now. free coaching. <laughs> well, I will tell you the line that I say to almost everybody multiple times a day that I'm interacting with when they're being hard on themselves or they're, I didn't get that done or is well, congratulate yourself on being human. Like, I think we have to regularly remind ourselves that we're not wonder woman. I know the movie just came out. We're not superheroes that we are human that we are dealing with incredibly challenging times. And so you ate a whole bag of cookies, congratulate yourself on being human. You skipped your workout, you yelled at your kid, you know, whatever. I mean, first we just have to, we have to own our own humanity and, and stop pretending that, right. It didn't happen and just go, you know what? Yeah. And just because we screwed up, just because we did things that we're not proud of, doesn't mean we are bad people. And I think that's a huge difference, right? It's like, I may have done something that wasn't great, but it doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It, so I think that we need to, we need to start honoring our own humanity. We need to give ourselves and other people a little more grace. Um, we need to talk about, you know, new year's resolutions are going to be coming up and people are going to be, you know, trying to build muscle. The, 
most important muscle that we can build as human beings is the muscle to pause, Mm -hmm. to, to say, you know what, someone said something to me, give myself a few seconds before I react, like Mm -hmm. pause before I speak, before I react, before I answer. Um, because too often our reactive self, right. Shows up. And like you said, either in that moment or later on, we regret it. And so I think if we just recognize that, you know what, I'm, I'm human today, I'm going to pause a little bit more than normal, or I'm going to give myself permission not to answer that email because I know I'm not in a good spot, or I'm going to give myself permission to not have this conversation today because I know that I'm not in a good spot and that I'm probably going to be more reactive rather than thoughtful. Um, and yeah, and, and then I think, you know, if, if we honor our humanity, give ourselves permission to be real, practice pausing, um, I mean, that's a huge first step. I think if people did that, that, that would be really helpful. Um, but then I think just starting to do some reflective work, if you haven't already about, you know, what's the version of me that I'm proud of? What's the version of me that I want to be? What's the impact I want to be having in this world? Um, whether people do vision boards, whether people like I have my core values literally hanging by my computer that tell me like what behaviors are in alignment and out of alignment. And I kind of ground myself, whatever it might be, vision boards, values, post-it notes. But I think it's really being clear about with whatever time we have on this earth, what's the impact you want to be having? What do you want your day to feel like? What do you want the people around you to feel like? You know, my, I think it's my Angela that has that quote of people will forget what you did, but they won't forget how you made them feel. So right. I, I think if we anchor ourselves in that, like, you know, in my language, how do you want to show up as a leader? What's the impact you want to have on others? And then let that be your guidepost. Let that be your compass or your lighthouse or your right. North star. And no, it's not going to be perfect, but that's like, if people just started doing that, I think that we would find our path forward um, a lot better. I agree. And And I think people are overwhelmed with having to, it feels very like I got to dig deep and my, you know, you talked about your childhood that's over time, right? That's over actually good people around you that hold a mirror up, whether that's a coach, right. Or a confidant, right. Or a mentor, or it can be a lot of different things, but you know, you know, I'm a huge advocate for, for coaches and having, and it doesn't mean to be forever, but having yeah. somebody that can turn some of the stuff where your family, your employees, your boss, like they're not going to be the ones that maybe turn the mirror and, and really help you understand these things. So yeah. um, that's is where your sweet spot and your superpower is and, and helping people understand that. So if people want more information on kind of what you do, right, what you've talked about and how you could help them maybe kind of shift and make that change that they need to make? How can they connect with you or get more information? So there's two different websites. So the first is drrosieward.com. And that's where my show up as a leader podcast is host. I have blogs. I have, I'll probably have this podcast on there when I've been on podcasts. So thought leadership and that that's really kind of more that self-leadership inspiration page that people can go to. And there's lots of really great nuggets on there. I designed it specifically for that from a business to business standpoint or workshops and teams and whatever salveopartners.com is our, is our business website. So we do work with leaders. We do work with teams. We similar to you do culture coaching. Um, we also have information about our book on there, et cetera. So either, either website and then on social media, on Twitter, uh, I am Dr. Rosie on Instagram and Facebook, it's Dr. Rosie Ward, LinkedIn. Um, So those are all the usual channels that people can certainly find me. Perfect. And we'll make sure that we include those in the podcast notes for anybody that's listening or driving or whatever you do while you listen to podcasts, be safe. And you can find that information later. 
thank you for coming on and having this conversation and being so vulnerably you, which is why I love you. And <laughs> you're um, sharing real, I think real stories, right. About your own struggles. I think that's really where these, these concepts start to hit home for people is where they don't feel like they have to put up, you know, these, these things. So people don't see it, it is when yeah. we hear more leaders that are really successful talking about here's my gaps or here's what I struggled with and here's where I'm still at and what I'm still dealing with. It's so important. So that vulnerability is, is so valuable to everybody that's listening. I appreciate you for that. Well, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And you know, I, if anyone can take something out of this, awesome. That's exactly what this podcast is meant for. And for everybody listening, you know, each of these podcasts, as I say all the time, I know it's a broken record, but they're, each of them is just meant to shift your perspective. Even it's just the slightest bit, make you think differently about that interaction later, make you take pause as Rosie said, and this isn't about full transformation from one podcast. It's about what's, what's that next step? What's that next thought, that next thing that will help you move forward. So as always, I'm grateful for the community that is part of the podcast listeners. And, and I'm grateful for the guests like Rosie that come on here and, and want to be part of healthy change for all of us. Thanks everyone. Thanks so much for listening. If you like this episode, please click that little subscribe button so you get the latest episodes when we release them. And we would so appreciate a rating and a review. We'd love to hear from you on how these podcast topics are having an impact for you. And if you haven't subscribed to our newsletter, make sure and go to our website, keystonegroupintl.com to sign up.